Hey everyone, I'm Scott. And I'm David. And, and you are listening to another episode of the Books by Old Dead Guys podcast. Yep, we're glad you're listening. Uh, we are. This is our third episode. We're reading through together. Richard Baxter's Reformed Pastor. We've read uh, a couple of sections so far, and, and what we've learned, if I was going to summarize it very quickly, uh, is first, uh, the exceeding value of the pastor, or the Christian for that matter, because one of the things we've talked about is the fact that this is not just for pastors. It, it says Reformed Pastor, uh, but Christians will benefit greatly from reading this book and just spending time kind of ruminating on it. Um, it, it, it. The first really important thing for Baxter was to spend time caring for your own soul, uh, particularly in the application of the word. Uh, he, he made reference to the fact that if my soul is dry and dull, then my sermons will be dry and dull. And then um, a second episode, he then drilled a little deeper with that, just talking about the exceeding value of thinking about doctrine and theology as the thing from which all other study flows. And he, he kind of ran on a tangent a little bit. That's what I like about Baxter. He's not afraid to chase rabbits when he feels like he needs to. Um, he really ran off on sciences and, and maths and things like that and how all of these things flow from our understanding of who God is and so uh, and so really forms a lot of, of helpful thinking in that place and so we're on section four of chapter one if you're reading the book just by way of reminder if you want to pick this up and read it with us we're just going to go through one section every podcast and uh, and you can get this either free or cheap I got my version on Kindle uh, for free and I think the print copy is is super cheap. Yeah, I don't remember how much I paid for it, but it was it was, I mean, not expensive. Yeah, so. there there are tons of ways to get it, but if you want to pick it up, uh, just to read it along with us, we're on chapter one, uh, section four, and David's going to take off and read for us, and then we'll talk about what we've been reading. Yeah. So, it says, "Take heed to yourselves." lest you live in those sins which you preach against in others, and lest you be guilty of that which daily you condemn. Will you make it your work to magnify God and, and when you have done, dishonor him as much as others? Will you proclaim Christ's governing power and yet contempt it and rebel yourselves? Will you preach his laws and willfully break them? If sin be evil, why do you live in it? If it be not, why do you dissuade men from it? If it be dangerous, how dare you venture into it? If it be not, why do you tell men so? If God's threatenings be true, why do you not fear them? If they be false, why do you needlessly trouble men with them and Put them into such frights without a cause. Do you know the judgment of God? That they who commit such things are worthy of death? And yet, will you do them? Thou that teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery or be drunk or covetous, art thou such thyself? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? What? Shall the same tongue speak evil that speakest against evil? Shall those lips censure and slander and backbite your neighbor that cry down these and the like things in others? Take heed to yourselves, lest you cry down sin and yet do not overcome it. 
lest while you seek to bring it down in others, you bow to it and become its slaves yourselves. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. To whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. O brethren, it is easier to chide at sin than to overcome it. Mm. And I feel like we need to stop right there for just a second. <laughs> so we've been preaching here through Romans 2 for, uh, I guess, about two months now, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And literally, like you can see him quoting uh-huh. Romans 2 through again, all of this. And again. Yeah, I mean, just again. like it, he gets to the end and it feels like I'm reading Paul. Thou uh-huh. that teachest another, teachest thou not thyself. Only he uses the king's English, which sounds even more faux voting, right? Like, uh-huh. But that first sentence, take heed to yourselves, lest you live in those sins which you preach against in others, and lest you be guilty of that which daily you condemn. And then all these questions, like if you think sin is such a big deal, well then, why aren't you doing something about the sin in your life? And, And if you don't think sin is a big deal, then why are you telling other people that they should do something with it? Yeah. I love that he comes down on both sides of that coin. Yeah, absolutely. It it is either a big deal, and you're right to tell people about it, but wrong not to do something about it yourself. Yeah. Or it's not a big deal. And why are you bothering with telling other people about it anyway? Right, right. You don't have another option. It's not not sometimes a big deal and sometimes not. That's not how this works. You've got to go one way or the other with it. This is why... This is why we're saying, though, that a book like this is not just, even though the name of it is Reformed Pastor, it's not just a book for pastors, because this is a, this is a Christianity-wide concept, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how many, how many people are at least tempted, and the answer is probably all of us, to not practice that which we quote-unquote preach. preach. You know, whether that be, you know, really uh, having hard things to say about our coworkers, you know, and the way that they work, and then being lazy ourselves. Or, uh, or, you know, really hating it when other people would, would lie to us, but being willing to tell a little white lie when it's convenient for us. You know, these are, these are super practical, like, Christian life sort of concepts. But he's, he's clear, yeah. So the, the uh, to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. It's kind of a clunky sentence because we don't talk like that. Mm-hmm. But that sentence is key because what he's, what he's saying is whoever... Whoever you have chosen to be your master, that's your master, right? Yeah. Whoever it is, and, and it's the, the way we've been putting it on Sunday morning, uh, is you are a slave. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. But you, you have a master and you are a servant. It's all a matter of which one it will be, whether it's sin unto death, he says, or of obedience unto righteousness. And then he says it's easier to chide at sin than to overcome it. It's easier to just be frustrated. And we typically say something like, I'm struggling with this sin. And that's precisely the problem is often we're not really struggling with that sin. We're just talking about it. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about it. And in talking about it, we, we feel better about ourselves instead of actually putting our hands to the plow and working to kill that sin. We want to just talk about it and get worked up about it so that people will leave us alone. Somehow, maybe even falsely thinking that God will leave us alone you know, and be okay because we just feel bad about it. But I, I love that. It is easier to chide at sin, whether it be in my life or yours, you know, whether I'm oh, talking yeah. about myself or to someone else. It's easier for me to get to get mouthy about it 
than it is for me to get to work putting it to death. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a good section. Mm. So then he continues, Lastly, take heed to yourselves that you want not the qualifications necessary for your work. He must not be himself a babe in knowledge that will teach men all those mysterious things which must be known in order to salvation. Oh, oh, what qualifications are necessary for a man who hath such a charge upon him as we have? How many difficulties in divinity to be solved? And these, too, about the fundamental principles of religion. How many obscure texts of Scripture to be expounded? How many duties to be performed wherein ourselves and others may miscarry if in the matter and manner and end we be not well informed? How many sins to be avoided which without understanding and foresight cannot be done? What a number of sly and subtle temptations must we open to our people's eyes that they may escape them? How many weighty and yet intricate cases of conscience have we almost daily to resolve and can so much work and such work as this be done by raw, unqualified men? Oh, what strong holds we have to batter and how many of them? What subtle and obstinate resistance must we expect from every heart we deal with, prejudice, hath so blocked up our way that we can scarcely procure a patient hearing. We cannot make a breach in their groundless hopes and carnal peace, but they have 20 shifts and seeming reasons to make it up again. And 20 enemies that are seeming friends are ready to help them. We dispute not with them upon equal terms. We have children to reason with that cannot understand us. We have distracted men and spirituals to argue with that will ball at us, ball us down with raging nonsense. We have willful, unreasonable people to deal with whom, when they are silenced, are never more convinced and who, when they can give you no reason, will give you their resolution like the man that Salvian had to deal with who being resolved to devour a poor man's substance and being entreated by him to forbear, replied he could not grant his request, for he had made a vow to take it, so that the preacher, by reason of his most religious evil deed, was fain to depart. We dispute the case against men's wills and passions as much as against their understandings, and these have neither reason nor ears. Their best arguments are, I will not believe you, nor all the preachers in the world in such things. I will not change my mind or life. I will not leave my sins. I will never be so precise. Come of it what will. We have not one but multitudes of raging passions and contradicting enemies to dispute against at once. Whenever we go about the conversion of a sinner, as if a man were to dispute in a fair or a tumult or in the midst of a crowd of violent scolds, what equal dealing and what success could here be expected? Yet such is our work, and it is a work that must be done. 
I love that. Uh, uh, so, so it's like an exposition of when you think of the pastoral qualifications that Paul lays out in, in mm-hmm. Timothy, when he says he must not be a new convert or may, he may become puffed up and fall into a snare of the devil. Like, it's like the thing you didn't know you needed yeah. until you read it, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is what Paul means. Mm-hmm. You know, it's literally you can feel him talk about this, right? You can't, shouldn't be a babe in knowledge that will teach men all those mysterious things which must be known in order to salvation, right? And, and so you've got, you've got this picture of you, know, you, you can't expound the scriptures to others when you don't know them, and you don't, you don't know fundamentally on a heart level, you don't know the scriptures simply because you went to seminary. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's something you just got to say out loud. Like, seminary is good. I've, I have no profitable. problems with seminary. It's yeah. profitable. But, but there's a difference between knowing God in a J.I. Packer, if you will, sort of sense, mm. and, and intellectually gaining knowledge so that, to the, to the credit of the seminaries and academic institutions, so that you might know God in a J.I. Packer sort of sense. Yeah. But, but there's, a, there's a world of difference. And, and we say here a lot, suffering is the difference. To walk through the Christian life in such a way that you deal with on a daily basis the pain and the suffering of others because you yourself have suffered are the things that legitimize your teaching ministry because they help you to know God and to know the scriptures and to hold fast to what he's saying. But, but I think even more important than that, with, with this one, uh, when you get to the end of that same paragraph, he says, how many sins to be avoided? So he's talking about ministry which without understanding and foresight cannot be done. In other words, maturity requires that you look ahead of a situation in leadership, regardless of ministry, but leadership is looking ahead of a situation and thinking about the different ways that that situation might impact and affect your soul and the souls of the people that you're leading, and then know, based on Christian experience, how to avoid at least some of those pitfalls. It's not like you can avoid all of them, but man, it'd be nice if you could avoid a few. Yeah. So that that's that's just powerful. That's heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, again, you know, I think seminaries are profitable, but I don't think they're sufficient. Right. You know, like just. That's a really good way to put it. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Just knowing, yeah. just knowing, so much head knowledge about the scriptures, isn't sufficient. And I mean, he talks about, you know, I love, he gives such a real picture of what you come up against mm. when you get into real ministry with real people is that, man, you, you can have all the factual arguments in the world, but that doesn't matter. Right. If, right. You know, he, he talks about, man, sometimes someone's best argument <laughs> against you is, I, I will, will not, not believe, believe you. you. Yeah, and if you've been in ministry any about it, you share the gospel with people. You communicated the gospel and called sinners to repentance. Yeah. I mean, they may not say it exactly that way. But they're getting at that. That's what they're saying. Yeah. I will not believe you. I will not believe you. And not only will I not believe you, I will not change. And you know what? They're, they're exactly right. This, yeah. is, this is where bringing your theology to bear on life matters so much. Yeah. That you have spoken truthfully. You will not change your mind. Yeah. But God might. Yeah. You know, and then so knowing that and having that experience of seeing God change the heart is, is so key because you're going to hear that. And then the, the enemies, right? We have not one but multitudes of raging passions and contradicting enemies to dispute against at once. So it's not like you just have one yeah. person opposing you or one set of opposition. It's like, I think I shared this with you, maybe it was, I think it was with the, the men in leadership on Sunday we were talking, and I was talking about how 
Paul's passage in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 16, was so helpful to me of thinking about ministry rightly because Paul, and I think it's verse 9, says, a wide door has been opened to me for effective service, which is awesome. We love that. But we forget the second part of that sentence, which is, and there are many enemies. Right? And so, so it's, as God opens the wide door for effective service in ministry, they're going to be. That's like it's actually supposed to create opposition because the world is opposed. It's, it's Jesus. If the world hates you, it's, it's because they first hated me. Yeah. So it, it would be abnormal then for the world to somehow embrace you and reject Christ. That, that, that probably means you're, you're not doing something right. And that's exact. And 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 all of that, dealing with all of that, requires maturity, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's exactly what Paul is saying in Timothy, and it's exactly what Baxter is warning us about in this chapter. Yeah, yeah. And I love the last sentence. Yet such is our work. It's a work that must be done. It's got to be. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. All right, last section. Here we go. Last section. That's a big one. It's a big one. Oh, brethren. What men should we be in skill, resolution, and unwearied diligence who have all this to do? Did Paul cry out, who is sufficient for these things? And shall we be proud or careless or lazy as if we were sufficient? As Peter saith to every Christian in consideration of our great approaching change, what manner of persons ought we, be, ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So may I say to every minister, seeing all these things lie upon our hands, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy endeavors and resolutions for our work? This is not a burden for the shoulders of a child. What skill doth every part of our work require? And of how much moment is every part to preach a sermon, I think, is not the hardest part. And yet what skill is necessary to make the truth plain, to convince the hearers to let irresistible light into their consciences and to keep it there and drive all home to screw the truth into their minds and work Christ into their affections to meet every objection and clearly to resolve it, to drive sinners to a stand and make them see that there is no hope, but that they must unavoidably either be converted or condemned. And to do all this as regards language and manner as beseems our work and yet as is most suitable to the capacities of our hearers. This and a great deal more that should be done in every sermon, must surely require a great deal of holy skill, so great a God, whose message we deliver, should be honored by our delivery of it. It is a lamentable case that in a message from the God of heaven of everlasting moment to the souls of men, we should behave ourselves so weakly, so unhandsomely, so imprudently or so slightly that the whole business should miscarry in our hands and God should be dishonored and his work disgraced and sinners rather hardened than converted and all this through our weakness or neglect. 
How often have carnal hearers gone home jeering at the palatable and dishonorable failings of the preacher? How many sleep under us because our hearers and tongues, our hearts and tongues are sleepy? And we bring not with us so much skill and zeal as to awake them. Moreover, what skill is necessary to defend the truth against gainsayers and to deal with disputing calibers? Calibers? Cavaliers? Cavaliers. That's probably good for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. Cavaliers. Sure. According to their (laughs) several modes and case. And if we fail through weakness, how will they exult over us? Yet that is the smallest matter. But who knows how many weak ones may thereby be perverted to their own undoing and to the trouble of the church. What skill is necessary to deal in private with one poor ignorant soul for his conversion? Oh, brethren, do you not shrink and tremble under the sense of all this work? Will a common measure of holy skill and ability of prudence and other qualifications serve for such a task as this? I know necessity may cause the church to tolerate the weak, but woe to us if we tolerate and indulge our own weakness. Do not reason and conscience tell you that if you dare venture on so high a work as this, you should spare no pains to be qualified for the performance of it. It is not now and then an idle snatch or taste of studies that will serve to make an able and sound divine. I know that laziness laziness hath learned to allege the vanity of all our studies and how entirely the Spirit must qualify us for and assist us in our work, as if God commanded us the use of means and then warranted us to neglect them, as if it were this way to cause us to thrive in a course of idleness and to bring, to, and to bring us to knowledge by dreams when we are asleep, or to take us up into heaven and show us his counsels while we think of no such matter, but are idling away our time on earth. Oh, that men should dare by their laziness to quench the Spirit and then pretend the Spirit for the doing of it? Oh, outrageous, shameful, and unnatural deed, God hath required us that we be not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Such we must provoke our hearers to be, and such we must be ourselves. Oh, therefore, brethren, lose no time. Study and pray and confer and practice, for in these four ways your abilities must be increased. Take heed to yourselves, lest you are weak through your own negligence, and lest you mar the work of God by your own weakness. Dude. He ain't pulling no punches today. Okay. Okay, okay, so now it's time. For the section of the show where we give you the Puritan word of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and that word is caviler. 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 I did not know this word. Neither did I. I had never even seen this word. And I've read this book, so I must have just skipped over this. That's, pr- that's probably what I would have done. Now here's what, here's, what the, here's what the dictionary definition of this. A person who quibbles. 
Someone who raises annoying, petty objections. Remember those people oh. in the church, right? Oh. <laughs> that's, <laughs> man, that's a useful word. We need to bring that back. Right, you cavilers. We're bringing back cavilers. Oh, man. I love it. Okay, so that is what a cavilers is. Cavilers. Yeah, just mm. so you know. Word and, of the day, done. Yeah. And so, uh, so Baxter tells us that we need to be careful of these people. And all of this, really, he ends this chapter because we're supposed to feel the weight of ministry. Not so that we won't aspire to it, but so that we'll be able to say exactly what, and he makes reference to this, exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, who is sufficient mm. for such things. I mean, I'm not sufficient for he such neither things. Neither am I. And yet God sees fit to use insufficient people because his grace is sufficient. But what he's getting after is we should definitely feel our insufficiency, but that should be no excuse for laziness. Mm. And so the hammer, really, at the end of the chapter, that, that you know, which I thought you read excellently, by the way, oh, that men should dare by their laziness to quench the spirit and then pretend, pretend the spirit for the doing of it. In other words, it's one of those, it's one of those moments where we've, we've heard at least of stories like this, right, where the pastor would stand up and accuse the church of being dead, or mm. accuse the Holy, you know, to, to, to accuse, better way of saying it, to accuse the Holy Spirit of not working in the church, when the Holy Spirit's not working in the pastor because the pastor's lazy. Mm. The pastor himself is slothful, and then is mystified that the church is slothful. Like there's, it, it, it's contagious, L you know, laziness, and, and, and then that's a leadership. As, as a Christian leader, and this is again how the book applies, as a Christian leader, You've got to recognize that laziness is contagious. And if you aspire to lead people, whether that be as a, as a man leading your home, mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as an employee leading other employees at work, or whether it be as a pastor leading your church, you set the temperature as the leader, right? There should be no one in this church who works harder than its pastors. And that doesn't mean that we have to work all the time. We need rest. Rest is good. And that also doesn't mean that we do everything. I'm very happily delegating responsibilities to people who are far better at it than me. But it does mean that I am not lazy. It is, and, and that is a, I think that's the key principle that he's really trying to hammer yeah. as he ends the chapter. Yeah, it's almost comical when he goes through and he's, you know, he talks about these guys that are, that are idle. And he says, do they think that they're going to like learn it while they sleep? Like God's going to come to them in their dreams it's and, like, it's and like teach old, them all these things? It's like that thing you thought about in school, you know, putting your, your book under your pillow <laughs> with the hopes that somehow you might magically learn the material you, you, for the you, test You the next gain day. from the textbook being below your head while you sleep, <laughs> even though you didn't read it in the first place. Right. Or, or, or is, is God going to call you up to heaven in your idleness and show you everything, all of his wonders and majesty, and then you just not care? Yeah. Like, it's not how this works. Well, that's an interesting principle. Sometimes it's almost like sometimes we fail to see what the Lord is doing, not because he's not working, but because we're not working. Mm. 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 And that's why, I know we went a little, little longer than normal today. This is an important section. And usually the ends of these chapters are longer than the other sections. But this is why, just a shameless plug for one of the things we're trying to do is not to just read a book and then talk about it, but to help you guys see a little bit more about how, for instance, I personally read a book, you know, to read a section and then think about it and discuss it and kind of pull it out like you're looking at a, at a precious gem and 
turn it over in your hands and see all the ins and outs of it. Like that's, it's just the more excellent way of reading as opposed to just trying to consume book after book after book after book mm. and never being transformed by any of them. To stop and just talk like this is really the reason we started doing this in the first place because yeah. I gain a ton just from saying things out loud and being like, wow. And sometimes it's as simple as going, wow, what, is that, what does that word even mean? And you stop and look it up and go, huh, okay. Right. Well, maybe tomorrow I'm going to call somebody a caviler. I might do that. That might be a thing I do, at least in my head, so I don't forget the word. But mm. Yeah, so, so in, in, in all of that, that's, that's the point of this. So we, we're grateful for the opportunity to do it. Hope you guys are gaining from it. Yeah. And, uh, and that is it for this time. We will start Chapter 2 the next time we get together. Thank you, guys. Goodbye.